Election College, episode 258, Francis Cleveland. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. The last episode, we were talking very secretively about this mysterious woman who was a part of Grover Cleveland's life. And, you know, there was nothing creeper about it back then, because when you get married at the age of what he was like 49 years old and she's 21 years old. No big deal in the 1880s. Nowadays it's the subject of a lot of, did you know Grover Cleveland was weird, (laughs) (laughs) but nobody was thinking of that. So at the time this was totally legit and everybody was supportive of this marriage. And we are going to proceed to talk about this union between Grover Cleveland and Francis Folsom in a way that would have been appropriate. That's right. And Francis Folsom was born in Buffalo, New York, and she was the daughter of a attorney and an attorney, a attorney and attorney. And sorry, I, I knew that, but I still just messed it's up. It's a vowel, Ben. <laughs> That's right. And uh, basically, all of her ancestors were from England, and they had settled down in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire, and then eventually they got over their way to New York and Buffalo, specifically. She was the only child out of her family to make it through infancy, and originally, she had the first name, Frank, which they named her that because of an uncle of hers that was named Frank. But later she decided she was going to have the name Francis instead because, well, in the 1880s, it was just a better idea to, well, I guess it wasn't 1880s, but at any rate, it was a better idea to have a more feminine name if you uh, were a woman. Yeah. And so she's born and Oscar, you know, her dad, has this friend. His name's Grover and he's 27 years old. He's like, hey, you got to come see the baby. And that's what Grover does. He's 27 years old. He's like, hey, I am very glad, buddy, that you just had a baby girl. And I'm going to buy her a baby carriage. And I am just going to think that this baby is something else. And she's amazing. Not thinking at all that, you know, he might marry her later on. And Are you sure there's nothing creepy about this it, guy? That's pretty creepy. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, not worth laughing about at all. But Oscar dies in a carriage accident when Francis is 11 years old, and what ends up happening is Grover Cleveland is the administrator of Oscar's estate. That makes Grover Cleveland a very influential person in Frances's life, even more so than she was already. She goes on, goes to uh, high school at a couple of different schools, one in Buffalo and then in Medina, 
uh, New York, and then goes off to Wells College, which is in Aurora, New York. And while she's in college, Grover is like, hey, I've been listening to some 1950s music and, you know, you were knees and elbows at one time and, you know, you grew up fast and now, now I think you're hot. So he sends her a letter and uh, asks her to marry him. And she agrees, but they didn't announce that they were engaged until about five days before they actually got married. So Francis Folsom, who's now 21 years old, marries President Grover Cleveland. Yes, he is president at the time, who was 49 years old at the White House. And this is actually the only time where a president got married in the executive mansion. So the ceremony is only attended pretty much by relatives and close friends and, of course, the presidential cabinet and their wives. And it's performed in the Blue Room of the White House. And the ceremony is actually performed by Reverend Byron Sutherland. And assisting him is Reverend William Cleveland, which is, of course, Grover Cleveland's brother. They decided to substitute the words honor, love, and keep from the vows with honor, love, and obey. So you got a whole star-studded thing. You got John Philip Sousa, who hopefully you know who that is. The, the Marine Band came as well to provide the music. And then after the, the whole shindig, they were like, let's go on a honeymoon. They go out to Western Maryland to Deer Park. So all the while, the media is just doting over the new first lady. Grover's sister, Rose, was the the hostess there in the White House until they got hitched. And she's like, see you later, guys. Have fun. And uh, that's kind of where we picked off. That's kind of where we had that little, little awkward intermission in the last episode where we're like, do we mention any of this stuff? Because he got married. <laughs> <laughs> it's more exciting over here. Yeah, it's much more exciting over here. So as you know, in 1888, he loses in the presidential election. The Clevelands head up to New York because that's uh, in New York, you can be a new man, right? And they have a baby girl and her name is Ruth and baby Ruth. That sounds familiar. Hmm. There's really nothing out there. At least I haven't been able to find that's totally factual. That's like... This is the reason the Baby Ruth candy bar, this is how it got its name, but it probably was. We we have pretty good evidence to confirm that, but, you know. <laughs> but she ends up dying, Ben, at age of 12. She died of diphtheria. Yeah. But she was there for the whole second term and everything, so she was quite the popular little first girl. And they went on to have uh, several children. They had Esther and Marion and Richard, and Francis. Man, and Ben, like Francis Grover Cleveland lived to 1995. Yeah. And uh, Esther Cleveland, she lived until 1980. Marion until 1977. Richard until 1974. So we're getting into that era where, you know, these people were alive, at least during my lifetime. Right. And yours. Well, at least Francis, yeah. Couple. Yeah. yeah. So after Grover passes away in 1908, Francis decides to remain there in Princeton, New Jersey. And 
in February of 1913, she gets married. Uh, she's 48 years old. She gets married to Thomas Preston Jr. And he is a professor of archaeology and uh, teaches at Wells College, which is where she went to school. Uh, also, it's uh, they have a Cleveland Hall or something like that that was named after her as well. She was the first presidential widow to remarry, and you can imagine that would be quite the interesting discussion. Now, uh, she was vacationing in Switzerland with her daughters and her son when World War I kind of broke out in 1914, and of course you can imagine that would be an interesting time to be traveling internationally. Yeah, and they evacuate through Genoa, and she is doing all kinds of things later on during the Great Depression in the 1930s. She led the Needlework Guild of America in their clothing drive for the poor. And uh, she passes away at the age of 83 in 1947. So can you imagine, Ben, her lifespan? She was married to somebody who totally bought his way out of the Civil War. Yeah. And she lived to know about World War II. That is pretty, yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. That's quite the span, quite the the knowledge of wars and history you would have. Uh, can, and, you know, of course, we've seen even, uh, even in our short lives, technological advances that are just crazy. But I think about that time between, you know, the 1860s when she's born and 1947. And you think about all the technology that changes. I mean, you go from no cars to cars. Now, like now we have cars that get better so far, but we've never seen a time where there wasn't a vehicle that there is now. And she goes from seeing no planes to planes. And she goes from seeing basically no, like no televisions, no, t no real telephones that are, yeah. I mean, that's just a crazy, I know there are lots of other people who have lived that same kind of period, but that's just a, a really interesting time to be alive where you see the whole technological landscape and therefore the, landscape of the whole world change so drastically in, in one lifetime. Yeah. Sometimes I freak out because I'm like, man, when I was a kid, I used to listen to shortwave radio. Yeah. And I thought it was the coolest thing listening to different broadcasts from around the world. And now nobody thinks anything of it. Like I email people all the time from Australia and Saudi Arabia and stuff. And it's like not that big of a deal. Jason, what are you doing emailing people in Saudi Arabia? Well, you know. I'm just curious. Um, there's stuff going on. All right, cool. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yes, very interesting life. Uh, very interesting life having been married to, uh, first, a president who was holding you when you were a baby, and then uh, your professor. So, yeah, interesting, definitely. That's about it for the Clevelands, except in the next episode, we're going to talk about Thomas Hendricks, who was the first vice president for Grover Cleveland. So you're going to learn so much, you won't believe it. All your friends are going to know how awesome you are because you're going to love listening to this episode and the next episode so much that you're going to leave a rating and review on iTunes. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's so nice of you, everybody. We really appreciate that. And we definitely appreciate it when you leave us reviews and tell your friends uh, 
face to face or you know over text message or something that's one of the best recommendations you can receive is directly from someone you know you can also uh, just go ahead and tag us like on on facebook or twitter or whatever and just mention us to a friend or a bunch of friends and say hey maybe you'd like this show we think that would be really cool of you and we thank you in advance for doing it because we know you're going to come on yeah do it yeah and when we say tag that means like at election college yeah <laughs> so um, while we're on the interwebs and doing all the stuff that people do here in the 2010s, what is this? The 2010s? Still? 2018. Oh, okay. 2018? Yeah, that's the simplest. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Come be amazed with us at all the technology we enjoy. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.